Hey, this is Ashley. Hey, this is Marcy. And this is School in Life, a weekly podcast about life, love, and occasionally libations. This week in Mentor Moment, I'm so excited to share that I am hosting a weekly IG Live series called Black Women at Work. I know the experiences of Black women in the workplace are unique, diverse, and often challenging, particularly in today's climate. So I want to talk to myself. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to your sister friends. I want to talk to women that you know who identify as Black and who work um, in corporate America, nonprofit, educational leadership, or any other industry um, where they might feel like they really need um, their identity to be seen and supported in the workplace. Um, I'll be kicking off uh, this IG Live series on Monday, August 3rd, um, and so um, this episode will have just released, but I will be continuing it after that every Monday in August at noon Eastern time, so August 10th, August 17th, August 24th, and August 31st at noon on Instagram at um, Ashley Ashire. I will be going live to talk about Black women in the workplace. Um, so yesterday, Yesterday's um, live was all about Black women at work. I'm focused on diversity committees and employee resource groups. Um, I know that many of you, uh, you know, maybe could serve on diversity committees or serve on employee resource groups. Um, maybe you're, uh, you know, you put on programming, you hosted trainings, and I want to talk to you about your experience. I want to talk to you about what's working with these diversity groups. I want to talk about what's not working, where you're experiencing some frustration, and really just dive into your experience with this. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about um, what to do when they cry. I'm specifically going to be talking about, um, you know, how Black women navigate, um, white women in particular, but just in general, um, people crying at work and sort of mammifying our experience. And I'm going to share some of the strategies I've employed in my own career to navigate that. Um, and I'm definitely going to invite you um, to talk about it with me. On the 17th, we'll be talking about um, this idea of the glass cliff and how Black women really need to be aware of uh, this sort of idea that they could get stuck on a glass cliff with the hardest projects, making the least amount of money and doing really meaningful work, but maybe um, have their career really fall apart um, because they're not being valued in the work they do. Um, later in August, we're going to talk about leveraging data to really get what we want, how we use numbers and data to really advance our careers. And then we're going to talk at the end of the month about authenticity and professionalism. Um, and I'm using air quotes here. So we're going to talk about that and kind of what that means, um, you know, when it comes to us. So I'm going to be diving in. I am going to be inviting folks to join me on the live. So if you always just wanted to ask me a question about what <laughs> about career, um, um, you know, if, if you, you know, just want to engage me and share your thoughts and perspectives on these topics, absolutely. Make sure you follow me um, on Instagram. It's Instagram.com backslash um, Ashley Ashire. Again, that's Instagram.com backslash Ashley Ashire. So excited to go on live with you and um, really talk to you about these topics. Um, and we're just going to have a blast. We're going to tell the truth. We're going to be super authentic. And I'm going to like pour tea into the experience of Black Women Network. So absolutely tell your girlfriend to follow me. Let her know we, we talking about the real things. Um, and I'm so excited to engage in this conversation. Um, and then another announcement that I have is that I 
am so excited to share that your girl got a promotion. Yes, that's right. I got a promotion and a raise during a pandemic, and I am super duper excited to share with you how. Yes, how I did it, how I leveraged my skill set, how I leaned into managing up, and how I was able to successfully negotiate um, a salary increase and a raise during a pandemic. It was hard. It was arduous. It got delayed, but it did not get denied. <laughs> oh, I'm preaching now. Okay. And um, and I am going to share um, my strategies. Like I'm going to share exactly what I did and exactly how I navigated that. Um, so on Monday, next Monday, August 10th at 7 p.m. Eastern, come learn the exact strategies I applied to secure a major promotion and a salary increase. Um, I'll be talking exactly um, how I like laid the groundwork um, three months in advance um, for this this um, salary increase and raise and how you can do the same. I learned how to leverage um, manage up strategies to advocate for the promotion and raise. Um, and I'm going to share with you um, my promotion strategy, like the exact um, the strategy that I use to work with my mentees on promotion. Um, and I'm going to share with you how I leverage the same um, strategies to get my own promotion. So I'm just going to walk, walk you through that. Um, what's exciting is that this webinar is free. So it's absolutely no cost. I really just want to talk to you about the strategy because I know a lot of you are feeling really defeated at work right now. You're feeling really stuck. Everybody's talking about the budget tight and all this jazz. Um, and those things are not untrue, right, in the world of work. But there is still skill sets that you need to be paid for regardless of how tight their budget is, if they can afford you, right? So, um, so let me, let me help you. Let me um, make sure that you get like, you know how to like do this um, and, and you can apply it as well. Um, so like I said, the webinar is free. You just need to go to my website to register. So it's mentor-me.org backslash uh, webinars. Again, that's mentor-me.org backslash webinars. Yes, ma'am. And I'm going to share all the strategies with you. I'm super excited to do that. Super excited to just like help you understand how I did it and understand how you can apply the same strategies to do it for yourself. So um, these are the instructions. First, join me next week on Monday, August 10th at noon. So we're going to be together all Monday. Uh, Monday, August 10th at noon, we're going to be talking about what to do when they cry. Um, so you don't want to miss this. It's going to be so good. And then Monday night at seven, um, we're going to be talking about raising promotion. So really like what, how you can navigate um, a raising promotion right now too. So I'm super excited about that and, and happy to serve you. Um, make sure you go to mentor-me.org and register today. So next up in I Digress, we are talking the lesser evil and hard choices to send kids back to school in the midst of a global pandemic or to opt into online learning, to vote for Joe Biden despite his alignment on important issues and sexual assault allegations or to opt out of an election of a lifetime. Listen to this week's episode as we talk about the hard choices, the lesser evil and what it means to make the tough choice. Marcy, for me, when I hear the term the lesser evil, I'm completely turned off, right? Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, like, why are we choosing between bad and bad? Why do we have to choose evil at all, right? Like, what does that even mean um, in the context of like real evil in the world, right? Um, and I get so frustrated by the phrase, but when it comes to, well, and I'll say also, it, it also reminds me like, of the lack of intersectionality that like exists in our world and in our choices. Sometimes we do literally have to quote unquote, choose a lesser evil because we have to prioritize one part of our identity over another. And having to make that choice over and over again is so annoying, but it feels so necessary and it feels like the lesser evil. And so like, that's what that phrase means to me, even though I really, really hate it. What is the phrase, uh, 
lesser evil mean to you? I don't usually use that term. I usually just say between a rock and a hard place, which I think has similar sentiments. It's just this idea that you are making a decision between two bad things or two things that don't really feel good or two things that aren't really aligned and being able to make the best decision possible given the options that you have or figure out what other kind of options need to be um, created. But in some situations, I think that the, the reason the lesser evil conversation comes up is because sometimes there aren't other alternatives, there aren't other options, um, there aren't other alternatives that you can pull in. And I think that that's what makes it such a challenging space to be in. And I think that 2020 has just, put us in so many hard places, like (laughs) put us in between so many rocks and so many hard places. And one of them that I just really empathize with for a lot of parents is the question of whether or not to send their children back to school in the midst of a pandemic or to keep them at home and homeschool them. And I just want to say, I'm so thankful that the Lord blessed me to not have children right now. Because that is just not something that I want to even have to think about. But the idea that um, the parents will be in that situation is just really heartbreaking. And I, but I also, what is fascinating to me is just the the different responses. And I, I I love that you brought up this idea of like intersectionality and the ways that our um, identities were often choosing between those because. Locally, there is a group of moms in one of the more affluent neighborhoods here that's advocating for schools to open back up and advocating for schools to not be online. And just the reaction that I have to that is it's not a lot of them and a lot of the assumptions that I'm making about it is that it's not so much about um like the health of the children or this idea that like they're social, they're gonna be socially impaired, but more so that like I don't want these kids to be at home with me. Like that's a lot of the sentiment that comes across with it. But there are also people in who, parents who live or single mothers, honestly, who live in um, less resource communities who don't necessarily have the option of not working and staying at home to take care of their children. And so their desire for their kids to be back in school has a lot to do with like, I can't work and take care of you. And so it's almost as if a system has just failed us in general, which is also really disappointing. But the idea that you would have to put your child's life in danger, potential danger, like we don't, we don't really know, but also we know like we would never send our children. So this is random sidebar. I was recently reading the Hunger Games. Ashley, I know that this is not your jam. <laughs> oh, I love the Hunger Games. No, I really? do. I've read the books and seen the movies. I've, yeah, I did it with my younger brother as like a bonding activity. I'm a big fan because it's not gory. It's weird. It's a little sci-fi. But, you know, I, I stand a dystopian thing where people aren't like bloody. Like it's killing, but ain't blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll allow it. I, it is gory, so I don't know how you got past all of that, but I'll allow it. <laughs> I, just I mean, that snow guy, he was gross, but everybody else, it was it was bows and arrows. It wasn't like, you know, it was all right. Okay. <laughs> I think you blocked out a few episodes, a few scenes in the book and in the movie, but I'm going to let you have it. I'm excited to know that you can relate to what I'm about to say, but it feels like the Hunger Games, right? Like, it feels like we are volunteering our children up as tribute. And everything about society honestly feels like the Hunger Games right now. And like we're being punished in some kind of way. But it is that feeling of like, 
my child could possibly be exposed to this deadly disease and this thing that we honestly are just uncertain and we don't know a lot about. So there are just so many things that my heart just really goes out to um, parents in this lesser of evil situation. What are some of the factors that you kind of think of that parents are facing when they're thinking about sending their kids back to school? You know, it's interesting, Marcy. I think that um, many parents aren't new to the lesser evil conversation, right? They're making these trade-offs all the time. Um, you know, the, I don't have no babysitter. Can I leave this minor child home by themselves? Are they old enough? Just because I don't, I don't have a family member I can send them to or a nanny, right? Um, you know, should we eat this month or should we pay this electric bill? Or who can I, I my government assistance doesn't extend as far as I needed to. Like, you know, who can I get some additional support from? Like, so I think that, I think that these rock and hard place conversations aren't new to a lot of parents. But what I think is fascinating is for those middle income people, those people who are a couple steps removed from poverty are like, this is ridiculous. How am I supposed? And I, I think, you know, when I've talked to a lot of um, like cousins and family members who are maybe lower income, they are like, making those decisions um for themselves and you know they, they actually interestingly enough fall on different sides of the spectrum right some of them are like oh no i'm homeschooling i'm gonna get her a tutor um and, and and i'll be able to afford that because i won't have to pay for new school clothes and this and that so i actually it ends up saving me money um or and some of them are sending them to school like you know um you know i i just cannot keep them at home unattended there's too many of them i can't hire somebody etc cetera, etc cetera. So um, I think that like there are some parents who aren't, who aren't, who for hard choices are not uncommon, but the factors are compounding, right? Um, and we know that some parents like, oh, you know, keep your home, kids, kid at home if they're sick. Before a pandemic, people were sending their sick kids to school just because they literally didn't have nowhere for them to go. What do you think they're going to do during the pandemic when unemployment is 11% and they got to really keep this job now because there ain't nowhere else to go? Like, right, like parents are making these decisions every day and there's so many mitigating factors. And I think that you really hit on the fact that, Marcy, it does sometimes feel like uh, we're, we're, we're putting our children up on the auction block. We're putting ourselves in some of our work environments um, that aren't um, practicing social distancing um, in the same way. And I think the other sort of big hard choice that I'm thinking a lot about right now are the factors um, facing Americans, and I would say American women in particular in the 2020 election. Um, you know, I can boldly say that I am going to vote for Joe Biden, um, but that is a rock and a hard place for me as I feel like I'm putting our global well-being and the fact to trying to help us avoid getting nuked out of this, this mug up against like my my woman i my my female identity my identity as a feminist with these allegations that he has um and that sort of have lingered um in who he is and throughout his career um my identity as a woman is very salient to me it is it's centered um and I hate that I have to trade. I hate that I don't have other options when there were so many in the democratic field to begin with. Um, and that frustrates me. Um, and yet I, I have so much clarity on it's the decision that I absolutely have to make because the other decision is a vote in um, towards uh, evil, literal. <laughs> um, and so it is the lesser. You know, as you think about like, uh, 
you know, Americans facing um, the 2020 election and this idea of a rock and a hard place or lesser evil, like how are you navigating that and what kind of things do you think, um, you know, we're faced with um, as we make this choice? Yeah, that that situation is just so awful and just so, honestly, like hopeless often comes up for me when I think about the 2020 election and just, I think I might've mentioned this recently I've been saying it a lot lately that it didn't really dawn on me until recently that the election was going to be this year um and it like devastated me when it actually like when those things actually click because we've had like one hell of a year and to think that the possibility that this election could like continue to be and will likely continue to be like yes it will be better if the current person is not in office but it doesn't necessarily get better per se, if that makes any sense. So there is a sense of just like hopelessness and we keep like everyone get out and vote and we keep making these like um, these calls to action about what we need to do. But it does feel like we are literally choosing between like the worst of the options possible. And especially, like you said, there were so many options, like there were so many reasons to be hopeful. And then we get to, what, three months out from the election, 100 days out from the election. And it's like, no, this could actually still be terrible. And this could actually still be trash. And even like the other alternative of it not like, I'm not voting for the person that is in the office right now. But just the idea that there are so many people out there that are still going to vote for him. <laughs> and the possibility of him still being in office, like that alternative reality is also extremely devastating. So I don't know, like, I just, I don't think that answered the question at all, but those are just all of the thoughts that kind of go through my mind as I think about and try not to think about this 2020 election. I also remember, um, I remember when Trump got elected the first time and just the ripple effects of like, I remember sitting in sessions with clients and just having to process that. And it was similar, right? Like we talk a lot as therapists about how we are going through the same thing that our clients are being impacted by. And I just remember the devastation of trying to hold space for people that were honestly suffering because he got elected. And the thought of having to deal with that again is just like, mind-blowing especially given the way that the year has been going so far yeah and thank you for sharing all literally all of your thoughts with us we, we are grateful <laughs> yes. and I think that like when it comes to living with hard choices like man I remember when you talk about hopeless I remember that night I remember I was living um I was at home you know living alone and I was kind of up 11 11 30 watching the the results come in and it wasn't looking good. And I went to sleep literally praying, um, woke up, you know, roll over to open my phone. And I, I just remember feeling so hurt, so disappointed in America. And I'll never forget, I went to work um, and white women were walking into my office crying all day long. And this is why next Monday at noon EST, I'm having a session on IG Live. Follow me on Instagram at instagram.com backslash Ashia Shire to talk about what to do when they cry. Because girl, I was so blown. 
women who had never spoke to me, women who had never engaged me, women who like were like flat out nasty to me, rude and disrespectful, were in my office in tears talking about they are so sorry. They can't believe this when they ain't talk to none of their nieces, they ain't talk to their aunts, they ain't talk to none of them because the majority went the other way. So the girl, don't cry to me. You better call your auntie. I'm sick of it. So yeah, girl, I just, oh. Um, but I think what we do when we live with, we went to live with the hard choices that we set some boundaries. So, um, I did feel hopeless that night, but I, I did commit to the fact that I wasn't going to be hopeless forever. Um, I committed to being intentional and thinking about what I can do. Um, since that time I've worked the polls, um, I've literally cut people whose values don't align with mine out of my life. I've educated other people. I've become more vocal about um, race and equity and justice, quite frankly, at work. Um, and I'm, and I, since that time, literally have a whole business, uh, a successful business where I teach other women to do the same. So for me, when it comes to living with the hard choices, um, I take the route of action, like first feeling those feelings, right? Um, deeply, um, but then like seek to be the change we wish to see in the world, very cliche, but is my intentional choice. I mean, that's how I live with the hard choices. Um, what about you, Marcy? How do you live with the hard choices? Yeah, I just, I think a part of it in addition to what you're talking about is really just accepting that sometimes there are just hard choices that we have to make and that there shouldn't be any guilt associated with it. Like, especially I think the election is such a, a poignant example of that is like, the, the choice of not voting is not an option <laughs> because by not voting, you're essentially voting for the worst of the two evils. Um, and being able to like rest assured knowing that in making those decisions, we're doing the best that we can. And it's not this situation of like, I just don't care. Typically when we're making a, a hard <laughs> a choice that is the lesser of two evils is that we care so deeply but we're not given anything outside of that so resting in knowing that I'm doing the best that I can given the options that I have I think helps me to live with those hard choices um and honestly when I think about like the last time I've had to make that kind of hard choice like the most recent thing I guess is just deciding to open a business in the middle of a pandemic and I've talked about it a million times before and so I will not belabor you with the details again but there was a moment of course where I was like you know what I said May was my last day <laughs> it is February <laughs> I mean it is March and so I still have two months to retract this and decide that I want to stay comfy and quote unquote cozy in this job this stable job and so like there it did kind of feel like a lesser of two evils situation like I couldn't like actually talking about getting promotions there was no promotion coming there was no increase in salary coming like I would have just been there to be stable and to be comfortable and sure that is a great thing in the middle of a pandemic but I knew that it was not going to be a good choice for me so yes it was a hard choice to continue to move forward in the midst of a pandemic but also I knew that and the the evil quote-unquote of starting a business in the midst of a pandemic is that you're starting a business in the midst of a pandemic and so while it's turned out to be this really beautiful thing and of course the hope is always that it will turn out to be good even though it has to be a hard choice in that moment that's another thing that I think um, 
can really get in the way of people making those difficult decisions is that in those moments, it looks like this is just whatever the option is going to be is going to be awful. Um, and Hunger Games is just on my mind because I literally have just been watching it. But if you think about it, like her volunteering as tribute, if you ain't seen Hunger Games, then get your life together. But her volunteering as tribute, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a horrible, like the lesser of two evils is send my sister, it's send me. But if it wasn't for her going in, the revolution wouldn't have happened and they wouldn't have gotten their freedom. So that's also just kind of the ways that I try to think about living with those hard choices. Um, but what was the last hard choice you had to make actually um I made two um just over the last weekend and um you know I still kind of have trepidation but I, I think you know I made the right choice and so one was traveling during a global pandemic um I went home this past weekend to uh see my siblings um if you follow me on social you know I have six younger siblings I love them all very much and uh back to school is a big time in our family we've always like celebrated back to school going back to school shopping back to school looks really different <laughs> this year right uh but I still wanted to honor that tradition and go home and celebrate them so you know it was like okay you know traveling during a global pandemic you know typically I would fly um it's maybe an hour-long flight home um I drove, it's a 12 hour drive, uh, which was very painful, but um, to try to be safe, um, you know, made that choice. Um, one of my siblings is planning to go back to high school. She's gonna, she'll be there two days a week. And so, you know, helping her think through that and navigate that, the loss of her friends, the loss of maybe fall sports and things like that. She's very active in sports. Um, so that's disappointing and just, you know, um, it's hard. Um, I have two younger brothers who are in college, so sending one who will be a senior this fall and one who will be a freshman. So big, big transitional times in their lives, very exciting for them, um, but, you know, hard, uh, right, for uh, me uh, uh, as a big sister, thinking about them going back into college environments that may or may not be prepared for them. And, you know, we, we talk about the other pandemic, right, um, racial um, and social justice unrest. Um, and sort of them being black men right in these spaces um, is is nerve wracking to say the least. Um, but hard choices were made. Um, I did go home. I did see my family. I feel really good about my decision to see my aunts who are you know all over seventy. You know, you just never know when the last time you're going to be able to do that. And um, I feel confident about the hard choices I made to wear a mask literally everywhere I go I was wearing them outside like literally I took five with me changed them you know um every day it was just really diligent about that tell other people wear your mask mm, don't come try to hug me wear your mask you know like um just really being thoughtful about that and it was hard right it was hard to do that um and not have it be like normal but really uh being proud that I prioritize my health and my family d during what is a you know a globally hard time for so many people and I think when I think about the advice I would give, right, to a listener who feels like they have to make a choice of a lesser evil, you will hear me say this every episode if the content um, pertains to it, but you really got to give yourself grace, right? So I really want to invite you to give yourself some grace. I want to invite you to trust yourself. So you, whatever next hard decision you have to make, whatever lesser evil decision you have to make, it won't be the first one, right? You have made hard choices before. So I want you to rely on your receipts. So if this is the time to rely on your receipts of maybe not making the best choices and make a different one, 
then that's okay. And if you need to trust yourself and rely on your record of making really good choices, and the next one is going to be another good choice, even when it's hard, I want you to do that. So grace and trust is what I encourage you to center if you have to make a choice of a lesser evil. Marcy, what advice would you give to our listeners who feel like they have to make the lesser evil choice? I would say pray and, um, and in that trust, like trust God and trust that God is going to take care of it regardless. Um, the scripture that reads that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his will. That is the way that I get through tough choices because it's going to work out good. That doesn't mean the situation is going to be good. It is still going to work out um, because of who you trust and believe in. And so I would definitely say pray and trust in God. Um, and then the other thing is just like, and it kind of is related to this, but try to find the silver lining. And I know that it's often difficult to find that in these spaces that are really awful situations to be in. But even if that just means like how Ashley talked about going into um, more advocacy after the first election, like that's a great thing, right? Being more involved, being more outspoken. I think about the losses um, of Black people due to police brutality and just what has sparked out of that, right? Like those are horrible things. They're awful things. The mothers are suffering from those things, but look at what we've gotten from that. We've gotten them being in politics. We're getting, we're having this uprising that's happening right now. And while those are not necessarily like exciting, joyful, like, yeah, we want these things, they're necessary as well. Um, And so I just, trying to focus on what we're getting out of it versus what the devastation is of having it, I think can also be really helpful. I, I agree. And we digress. So next up is All Black Everything, Marcy. New month, new Black blessings. What do you have for us this week? So this week in All Black Everything, um, I just want to shout out a podcast. And honestly, we're just going to talk about Beyonce for the rest of the episode. But I wanted to shout out this podcast because I finally finished it. And I've been waiting to talk to you all about it um, since I started it. But I was like, let me just finish it. And the podcast is called Dissect. It's actually a podcast that has been, this guy dissects all kinds of things. He, um, He dissected the... Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly. He's dissected My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye, um, a Frank Ocean album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, Flower Boy by Tyler, the Creator, Damn by Kendrick Lamar, and this season six is Lemonade. And so hubby has been listening to it to listen to the um, the Kendrick Lamar albums. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I would love to listen to something that I care about deeply. And so when they brought out Lemonade, I was like, oh, so you are just really interested in like speaking to my life right now. And the guy is so white. It's so funny how white he is. He's so adorable, though. But he actually like genuinely cares a lot about um, the artistry that comes behind these artists albums and it's so nice to just hear he really like gets into and dissects everything and he actually has a black woman um 
he has a black woman as a co-host to do the lemonade section and i'm so thankful like the fact that he was that intentional to think about like yeah i don't need to do this by myself i need to bring someone else on to speak on this topic i thought was really dope her name is titi shohida so Shodia, T.T. Shodia, and she actually is like a mechanical engineer or something like that, like super smart, super dope, but she is doing um, this podcast with him, and just to hear them sit through and talk about the Lemonade album, the visual album, going through and talking about like what all the symbolism is in the visual album and in the music, tying it back to like old songs that she's done and how she like shouts herself out and shouts out Jay-Z. But one of the things that um, I think is really poignant about it that, so I will tell y'all right now, we'll talk about this a little bit more in Black is King. I am not a critic. Like I am not the type of person that's like, oh, this is this and this doesn't speak to this and blah, blah, blah. So I love hearing other people talk about it because it just, it really opens my eyes to a lot of different things. And one of the underlying things that maybe y'all picked up on and I'm just real late to the story is it really shows a, uh, um, her trying to heal generational curses, that it's not just about like her healing from her, I mean, her affair. Oh, Lord, Freudian slip, her affair, <laughs> the situation in her relationship. But she's also trying to break these generational curses for her children and for her children's children. And I just love the idea of like, really thinking about where we were historically, where we've been from slavery, um, and just like the homes that have been torn apart, the families that have been torn apart, and the ways that that has impacted like the Black family today. This is not that I don't think about these things on a regular basis, but when I see the way that she tied this into her visual album and her music just really spoke volumes to me. So if you are listening, if you are interested in doing a deep dive into Lemonade and really want to hear about all of the like allegory and the metaphors and the symbolism and all of the like work that Beyonce put into this visual album, I would definitely encourage you to listen to Dissect Lemonade. It's on all um, platforms, but you'll also notice that if you're interested in any of those other artists, he does a really great job. Like I said, he's a white guy, but he actually does a lot of research and a lot of like work into putting into these albums and giving these people these their homage and just talking about how amazing they are. So if that's something you're interested in, I would definitely encourage you to check it out. Yes. And, you know, I feel like I, I am not a critic of Beyonce because I really don't. I mean, like at this point, right? Um, so like what more can I say you know what I'm saying so I'm not really like she okay Beyonce is king so how could we even but I do love like a deep dive into um a body of work because I do think that art is subjective right so you kind of have to like have that insight and so uh and we know our podcast listeners are big podcast fans in general so we'll make sure we link to show notes uh and all that uh link to um this episode of dissect um in the show notes so in TVT this week, you know what it is. We are talking Black is King, um, Beyonce's release on Disney Plus, um, and um, what is uh, sure to be a Emmy, Grammy, uh, you know, Academy Award winning <laughs> film. Um, it intersect, it tied together um, her role in The Lion King, um, her um, album, and this felt like a visual album release of some sorts. Um, the amount of um, 
symbols and and looks and um, black art and black dance and black beauty that was um, interjected into this project is just uh, it speaks volumes to Beyonce's continued evolution and the evolution of black culture just in in general. Um, just a beautiful piece of art and I'm so grateful that Beyonce um, shared it with us. Um, share a little bit, Marcy, about like, if you can, like the, the journey or like what you had anticipated prior to it releasing and sort of the journey you've gone through <laughs> since its uh, release and, and interviewing it. Yeah, so I watched it coming right off of um, listening to the Dissect podcast. And so I was sitting there looking for all of this stuff. I'm like, ooh, let me see if I can pick up on the symbolism. That's not my jam. That's not my lane. And so I quickly realized that that is not what I need to be doing. And I just need to be sitting and enjoying it. And so all I did was sat there the entire time and just watched how amazing Beyonce looks. Like, she is gorgeous. And just, like thick and full-bodied and just listen those thighs baby baby I was just like I don't want to objectify her but my goodness she is so fun um and so I was just enthralled with that I love one of the things that um it's funny to me is how Jay-Z is a prop in like her shows. Like he just shows up and he's just there and she's just like, I'm a whole mood. Like this is my whole thing. I love that. Um, I liked hearing the music again and seeing the artist because I didn't really listen too much to um, the gift. Like I kind of, I gave it a once over and I listened to a couple of my favorite songs, but I didn't really like listen to it a lot. And so being able to see the artists performing and really kind of have a visual, like I'm a very visual person. So being able to have a visual with the music was also really nice. Um, I cried during Brown Skin Girl just because I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. Literally um, everybody yeah. cried. And like, I feel like everybody I've talked to is like, yeah, I cried during Brown Skin <laughs> Like literally everybody. Literally, that was totally my feeling. So cry during that. But overall, I just thought that it was a beautiful. I just thought that it was a beautiful piece of work. Um, and I'm just thankful that she shared it with us. Yeah, Beyonce is the gift. Um, and, and I want to just like interject here to say that like, like art is subjective. But I do think it's important to think about an artist's full body of work when doing these critiques and not just individual pieces. Like, I think that, you know, Beyonce is now getting a lot of flack for, you know, how she engaged the African artists that she worked with and, you know, some of the symbolism and what it all means. And I'm like, if you've been following Beyonce's career, Beyonce always does the work. Beyonce always pays her people. Like, she's been at it for forever. And from what I'm hearing of the people who, um, you know, participated in this body of work, they are loving it um, and are, are grateful to have the opportunity to work with Beyonce, but also feel like she honored them. It's like she honors them and reveres them just like they honor and revere her. They're all artists, right? They're all in this together. It's not um, one against the other, or it's not like, like she exploited them in any way. So go to the source on that one. Um, and, um, you know, this is, this is truly, 
a, a moment in history, you know, this year in so many ways. And I think Beyonce just added to that, right? And so um, if you've watched Black is King, let us know. Uh, you can tweet us um, uh, using hashtag School and Life Pod. I do check that hashtag often. And you can um, um, send us screenshots at School and Life Podcast on Instagram. Make sure you let us know. Um, if you watch, if you love it, if you have a critique you want to share, we'll dialogue. We want to dialogue more about it in our Instagram story. So hit us up and let us know. That wraps up this week's episode of School and Life Podcast. Uh, thanks so much for listening. This is a great month for you to tell a friend about School and Life. We've been in the game for years um, and um, we are looking to grow our listenership. So make sure you connect um, someone to the podcast, put it in your group chat, drop it in your group knees. Uh, we want to be the podcast of choice for women who want to talk more about life, love, and occasionally libations. We will see you next week. School's out. Class dismissed.